0: glad that you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 9. We're going to start here in verse 51 in just a moment. But I'm going to tell you, it is a absolutely beautiful day outside. I got to get out in the backyard yesterday, get some work done. Um, Aaron pointed out we got some blueberry bushes, uh, planted near where I was working. She's like, oh, they're starting to bud already. And so springtime is here and I am excited. So, so here's what I'm talking about, the beautiful day outside. We are so appreciative. There's a lot of things you guys could have gone and, and done today, but we're so appreciative that you're here with us so that we can celebrate and worship Jesus Christ together. Uh, if you're one of our first-time guests, uh, thank you so much for being here for for choosing to worship with us as well this morning. And, and hopefully, we you can let us know that you're here through our through our text messages. But also, please feel free to stop by, let us know. We would love to to meet you and speak with you on your way out. Also, I want to draw your attention. You got these cards that are on your on, on your chairs there, and, and one of them is for our student ministry. Uh, we've got a, a a Sunday afternoon plan for our six through twelve graders to head to the Plex, to do some ice skating, and to experience the trampoline park, all right? And so there's some way we need to RSVP so we can let them know, so that uh, we can have the right amount of people in there, right? So we can get our whole team through there. If you would like to parents come and, and observe what will happen and take place, here's what I'll tell you. Uh, a few weeks ago when we went bowling uh, as the student ministry, it was wonderful for me to go and be able to bowl with them. Now, the game has been changed a little bit, and there is uh, uh, ice and trampolines, which in my brain for me says, Horn, ligament and concussion. So I will be on the outside encouraging all of our students and whatever adults decide that they would like uh, to join them as well. But we would love to have your kids uh, with us as we uh, continue to grow together um, in our student ministry. So we're going to dive back into to Luke and 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 really this these last three weeks have kind of been a series inside of a series as we've walked through the book of Luke since before Christmas time. Right, one of the first things that we pointed out is is this gospel is addressed to an individual. Luke is writing it to Theophilus for Theophilus to to, to have a confirmation about what he's heard about Jesus Christ and being able to to, to filter it through the the words of the gospel that Luke writes for him. And and you and I have this distinctive advantage for almost some 2,000 years later to be able to sit back and open up those words and, and read this letter from one friend written to another friend about his Savior, Jesus Christ. And over the last uh, several weeks, what we've seen is that within here, chapter 9 is, is a big deal. You're, we've been kind of moving through a, a chapter a week, kind of hitting the high points, and, and we've we've pumped the brakes a little bit over the last several weeks. But even within doing that, we we haven't read every encounter that's that's there. But but chapter nine is is huge as we see all that has happened and all that has taken place. We we saw at the very beginning of of Jesus sending out the the twelve, which was different. We see Jesus feeding the 5,000 and, and building and culminating to a point where, where Jesus sits down with the disciples and he says, hey, who do they say that I am? I mean, we were just with we, 5,000 men, so maybe 12,000 people. Who do they say I am? And then they say, but who do you, Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter gives the declaration that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, he's the suffering servant written in in, in Isaiah, he's the one that that the whole whole world has been waiting on to to cure their their, their problem of sin, to give them hope and glory. And then Jesus tells about his death, he tells what he must do, what he must bear, and then he says, in order for you to follow me, you you must do the same, you must take up your cross and follow after me. And then we saw last week at the the Mount of Transfiguration of of what is seen there and what this looks like, and we see this mountaintop experience, and we see what Jesus does uh, with the group that's there with him, and then we see him journey off of the mountain down to the valley where where he meets a man whose son is both afflicted by a disease and possessed by a demon. And, And Jesus culminates us into this moment of understanding like the problem, the brokenness, whatever Everyone is feeling and working through is this lack of faith. And so Jesus challenges them on their faith and their and their faith in him. But but Luke 9:51, this is, this is a big moment, not only in scripture, but but in the history of the world. In Luke 9, 51, where where there's a turning of the page to to head to a a new chapter of life, of what's going to happen, of what's going to take place. And, And let's read it this morning. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus had been on the outskirts in the small towns being this, this, this rabbi who wandered around with this ragtag group of followers, some in large number, some in small number. He's, he's got tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and those were just referred to as sinners kind of following around with him. But now he's taken his ministry to the big city. But that's not the the point of Jerusalem. As Jesus turns to to turn his face to to head toward Jerusalem, he's not looking at the lights of the city. His eyes are are fixated on the cross. And so Jesus in this, it's the culmination of us understanding that in all of the things that Jesus had done in, in God's sovereignty and in God's power, he sent Christ and he healed and he taught and he performed miracles, and he built relationships, but all of it comes down to the single task of where Christ's life is pointing to, of the cross, the death and, and, and resurrection. And in Jesus knowing this, he, he, he turns his face and with a positioning of determination. Heads toward at a greater depth for us to be able to see of obedience. Jesus has been fully obedient in, in everything that he's, that he's done. There's not a moment of sin in his life. There there isn't a a, a glimmer of of, of moral filth found within him. But in this, what we see for us is is this deeper layer of obedience as Jesus turns his face and he begins to head toward Jerusalem. Now, from this time moving forward, the crowds are going to be smaller. The miracles won't be as often. And his public teaching won't be as frequent. But we will see that he begins to talk more and spend more time in sending out the others to go and to proclaim and share the message. In fact, as he begins his his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus sends out messengers ahead of him uh, in, in the words of scripture to make preparations for him. So he sends them into this Samaritan village like get, let's get a place to stay, let's get some food, let's get everything lined up so that we can come here on our journey to Jerusalem. And as Luke talks about this, what we find out is that he was rejected. Now, Jesus wasn't rejected because of a message, because of a miracle, because of any of these things. Verse 53 tells us that they rejected him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So he's clear. He's making it known to everyone, this is where I'm heading. And so this Samaritan village rejects Christ because of the mission he came to fulfill. They didn't understand they didn't, they didn't know what was fully going on. You see, the, the Samaritans, they were considered during their day second-class citizens. And in fact, a lot of people thought, right, like I'm a dog lover, right, but this is from custom, from tradition, that Samaritans were, were lower than, than dogs, and so these Samaritans, they were viewed this way because they weren't considered ethnically pure. They were a mixed race people, so they weren't considered as, as good as others, especially by the Jewish people. And so here what they, they see is there is a Jewish man who is coming into our city, who is headed toward Jerusalem, and this Jewish man, we know that he is a rabbi. So they begin to line the boxes up of what we don't like. We don't like Jewish people because they don't like us. We don't like the Jewish faith because the Jewish faith rejects us. And the focal point of all of these things is Jerusalem. Strike one, strike two, strike three, Jesus, you're not welcome here. And here's what's, what's important for us. Based off of what they think, based off of their perspective, based off of their real-life, tangible experience, they reject Jesus. And I think what we we're going to find in this is that that sentiment still rings true in many today and maybe in some of us who are in here to, in this moment. Based off of a real life of what I've gone through, based off of a real-life perspective that I have, Based off of all of these things that have culminated in my life, I have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. So Jesus presses on and Jesus continues. And this is really the part that we're going to focus in on this morning as he keeps his eyes turned towards Jerusalem. Jesus is going to continue on the road and he's going to have three different encounters with individuals who seek to follow him. Now, you would think that Jesus is going to welcome this, right? Like being a follower of, of, of Jesus is something throughout this that he's welcomed. There, there's an audience, there's a crowd, there, there's a group, and Jesus speaks some words and some challenges. He, he's dove into with his closest followers of what it means to follow him. But now on his journey to head in his obedience to do what God has called him to do, there's gonna be three people who are like, hey, we want to go on this journey with you and you would think jesus like absolutely come on let's do this together let's walk with determination let's walk with obedience but he he doesn't that's not what we see and instead what what jesus does is jesus attacks idols and I think this is an important piece for, for us to see in, in a culmination of how do you and I take what we've seen, of what we've heard, of what we've experienced in this whole journey in the Gospel of Luke, but but primarily in Luke chapter 9, and, and how do we apply this into our lives? And I feel like, right, like if you're with me and on the journey, like I want to grow Jesus in, in my depth of obedience to you, I want to grow Jesus in, in my dedication, and. my My commitment to you. Lord, I want to I want to take off and I want to run after you. And she's like, cool. But let's attack some of those idols first. And let's see what's what's really going on. Let's talk about idols for a moment, all right? Idols, it's a churchy word. It's not word outside of American idol, right? That we hear oftentimes in, in, in culture. Right? In fact, we really didn't hear it at all until that came, and then there's a positive connotation to it. But in church, we talk about idols, and so it's easy for us to separate those out into categories or thinking that that doesn't apply to us. And when we think of idols, we think of statues for many of us, but we also think of what I'm going to call like externally selfish items, like really easy to identify. Like I've been in other countries and seen a depth of of, of physical idolatry that I'd never experienced before as I literally watched men and women bring sacrifices to statues and fall down and, and worship statues But I've also seen within our own world and even within myself our our willingness to to, to pursue after these external selfish items, right? And so it's easy for us to categorize and say, yes, these things are are idolatrous items, like, like money. That can be an idol, Drugs and alcohol and the things that we want to surrender our life to where we think we can find comfort, right? That's that's an easy low-hanging fruit idol. Lust, right? Like that, that's that's a good low-hanging fruit idol. And if we're not careful, for us, idolatry are those extremes. Well, I don't I don't struggle with that. I ain't got enough money to have idolatry, right? I'm not good looking enough to have idolatry. Oh, I'm not in some far eastern world that has statues and I don't, I don't do that. I, I go to church. I don't have idolatry. But idols, understand this, number one, an idol can be Anything. Anything. Anything that you have, anything that you desire, anything that you long for, an idol can be anything. But let's also understand this, secondly, in and of itself, an idol can be a good thing. An idol can be a good thing. In fact, in the encounter that Jesus is going to have with these three individuals, what we're going to see Jesus attack are good things. Things that you're like, oh, I need that in my life. I want that in my life. God has blessed me with that in my life. An idol can be anything. An idol can be good things. So, so here is how I want to find, define idolatry for us this morning. Idolatry in your life and in my life is when we elevate the gift above the giver or creation above the creator. So you and I, not in an extreme But in a practical sense, oftentimes in our life, God the giver gives us something and we elevate it above him. God the creator creates something and we elevate it above him, right? And that's what we do. And that's those areas in our life are those hard to find Idols that we become blinded to. But Jesus is going to say, if you really want to follow after me, if you really want to seek after me, then there has to be nothing that comes in idols for you. So when these three come to Jesus, his response is loving, his response is kind, his response is gracious, and his response is 100% truthful. And so look down at verse 57. It says, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Man, this is a weird encounter. Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Cool. I ain't got anywhere to sleep. I don't have anywhere to go. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's attacking an idol which is keeping so much of the church from pursuing after him. Jesus attacks the idol of comfort. Of comfort. I I read this week from from, uh, uh, Pastor John Piper, He, he said, to follow Jesus. Is, not, is to not only follow the person, but to also follow the mission. And the mission of Jesus is not met with comfort. Jesus and the mission of God cannot be separated. It's what he came, it's what he was called to do, it's what he did, it's what he fully fulfilled in his full obedience. Jesus and the mission of God cannot be separated, and what stops you and I so often from following and obedience to the mission of God is comfort, is comfort. This guy says, wherever you go, I'll go. Where's Jesus going? Jerusalem. What's waiting for him? Rejection, imprisonment, beatings, and death. Why is he doing this? Because obedience to the Father supersedes the comfort of his life. Jesus had had already attached the mission of God to the cross for those who wanted to follow him. Take up your cross and follow after me, Jesus said. Church, what you and I have to embrace is that the mission of God is an uncomfortable mission. It's a mission that, that can be costly. It's a mission that calls for Sacrifice. It's a mission that can hurt both physically and emotionally, but in order to fulfill the mission where we move from a mindset of comfort, we begin to embrace a mindset of satisfaction that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so none of these things matter. Do I want them? Yes. Do I enjoy comfort? absolutely. Do I, do, I, do I long for that in my life? You, you bet you that I do, but the moment comes for us in our world, whether you're talking about social comfort, physical comfort, emotional comfort, financial comfort, but what if Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem and none of those are found there? And he says, But if you want to chase after those things, then you can't be on this journey with me. Something good. But Jesus says it can't be more than me. It can't be more. Look down at verse 59. Another person comes up to him and says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. All right, now this is going to be a hard one for us, all right? It's going to be a tough one for me. In my, in my group on, on Thursday morning, me and a couple of guys, Tim and Raymond, we've been meeting and working through some scripture and kind of got to deal with some of this uh, this week in my life, all right? Uh, so here it is, family, family. Now, there's a lot about this encounter that we do not know, all right? Number one, let's understand this, right? Jesus isn't saying that you can't come after him and care for your family, right? Jesus is not telling us that we should not care for, provide for, come alongside like our parents and our children and and our family that God has, has blessed us with, okay? That's not at all what he's saying. Let's don't jump to an extreme. In fact, Jesus, right, entrusted his mother, Mary, to be cared for by John. So we see that in his own life, the embracing of this. Now, Something else we don't know. We don't know if this person's father is dead or not. Okay, So it could be implied here, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, meaning my dad isn't dead, but I need to hang back here until he does because I've got responsibilities that I feel like that I need to be obligated to. And so once all of these things within my family are exactly perfect and lined up, Jesus, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after you, man. Then I'm gonna, Then I'm going to follow you. Let me do this first. We don't really know the dynamic of, of, of what's existing within there. Now, now the third thing we, we need to understand that we don't necessarily know, okay? Now, let's say his father had passed, now there's a tradition that allowed the, the burial process right to happen over an extended period of time right and I'm not talking about visitation on Friday right and burial on Saturday right I'm talking about weeks as, as you'd work through all of the process right and mourning and, and all that would, that would take place We don't know the exact circumstance and here's where I believe is the heart of Christ in this moment that, that, that Jesus wants his relationship with you and with me to be deeper, to be more intimate, to be more personal than any other relationship you have. And that includes your spouse, your kids, your parents. Jesus says this is the depth of intimacy that I long for you and this is what hits me. My wife is a beautiful gift of God that God has blessed me with. My kids are wonderful blessings that God gave us to raise and to release. I love my mother, I love my father, I love my in-laws and the value that they are in my life. They are good in all of those instances, good gifts of God created in the image of God. But I cannot elevate the goodness of the gift or the creation above the gift giver and the creator in my life. And now what we find is that we when we love others well, we love others from the depth of love that we have experienced and that we know in Christ. <laughs> if you're struggling right now, here, here's what I want to say. Stop trying to figure out the five ways to be a better dad, to be a better mom, to be a better child, to be a better spouse, and start diving into loving jesus more begin with him rest in him start knowing him more jesus isn't saying and bo reject your wife no 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 that's not it right paul tells me how i'm supposed to love my wife as, as, as christ loved the church We know about the precious gift that children can be. We know about how we model care as we care for those who are older than us. We know what this looks like. But Jesus is saying, hey, hey, the depth of the relationship of love, it's got to begin, it's got to rest in me, and this is where it is. And now I know for a lot of us, this is hard. But where have we elevated the gift above the giver? Where have we elevated creation above the creator? So so one more is going to come to Jesus. It says in verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the idol that, that I want to challenge us with this morning that I believe that, that, that Jesus is, is laying out here is, is the idol of trust, is the idol of trust, What this person said, let me first go and and say farewell. Let me take care of everything that needs to be done in my past so that I can take off and, and go with you in the future. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Like, here's what has to happen. If you're going to follow after me, you have to trust and you have to follow me. And then Jesus gives a farming illustration. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I've never worked a plow, all right? Anybody in here, like a handful, maybe? Maybe, there we go, we got one. We got Bruce has done that, right? For the rest of us, like, geez, we're, we're lost here for a minute. Could you kind of help us out? So, so here's, here's the challenge I want to give to you today. When you go and you get in your car here in just a little while, when you begin to take the drive and begin to head to the restaurant, to home, to the, to the grocery store, right? Like, wherever you're going, I want you to to put the car and drive and go forward, but I want you to do that and drive the entire way of where you need to go by keeping your eyes in the rearview mirror. All right? We'll challenge, right? We're going to all agree that we're going to walk out there and do that. If you get in an accident, if you get stopped by the police, tell them that your pastor, uh, Pastor David Allen, challenged you to do that, Right? and and, and you'll be good. No, no. If you're 16 and you're in here, please don't do that, all right? But mom, Bo told me to do that. No, 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 don't. We would all agree this is crazy, right? We can't do this. But that's how we try to follow Jesus. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. Jesus is headed toward the, the, the obedience to the mission. And he says, you can't do it if you're trying to look back as you're headed forward. If your heart is still back there, if your thoughts are still back there, you can't pursue me and where I'm headed. At the beginning of this passage, verse 51, Jesus was clear in his full obedience to the Father. He set his eyes on Jerusalem. And at the very end of chapter nine, he tells us, You can't look back. And in that, he attacks our trust. What do we look back on? What we know, what we've obtained, what we've experienced. And in looking back, we lean in and we trust in ourselves. For so many of us, trusting God is difficult. The conflict of faith that we have comes in conflict to what we know. It comes in conflict of what we've experienced. It comes in conflict of what we've gone through. So receiving Jesus for us is difficult. And we find that we're a little bit more like those Samaritans in that village than we thought. But but he he's a Jewish man. I know how he feels about me. But 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 he, he's 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 attached to this faith, and I know what this faith, what I've heard it says about me. He, but he's he's in that place, and he's headed to that place, and I know. I know what that place symbolizes for me. And so because of what they hold in the palm of their hand, of what they know, of what they've experienced, of what their perspective is, it causes them to completely miss out on an encounter with Jesus. I'm afraid for so many of us the, the depth of the obedience that we're, we're longing for. The depth of obedience that we think in, in, in each Sunday, every, every night at Bible study, every morning in our, in our devotional, in our quiet time, we, we run up alongside Jesus on the path and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. <laughs> he says, but if you, if you don't follow me, I'm headed on the mission. And I'm going to need you to lay aside those idols. I'm going to need you to lay aside the gift that you've elevated above the giver, the creation uh, above the the creator. And I just need you to follow after me. You know, we're going to find out as we read through where that road goes and the journey that it'll take. But for so many of them who were following Jesus during that time, they're clueless. They're just walking after their rabbi. But do you remember what I said at the very beginning? The crowd's gonna get thinner. Fewer and fewer are gonna come running up to him. Less and less, the the, the mission is, is gonna be embraced. And more and more, people are gonna pursue after him but Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem as we close up this morning I want us to think about where we are on that road and I don't know where you are I don't know the experiences that you've gone through I don't know the perspective that you have I don't know your trust issues, but I've got mine. I don't know about your comfort struggles, but I've got mine. I don't know about the depth of the relationship that you have with your family, but I've got mine. But here's what I know. I know that you and I without Jesus are sinners with no hope. That every commandment of God that he's ever given We, you, me, have violated and destroyed it. And you and I, we deserve the full wrath of God. But we have hope because that rabbi set his face toward Jerusalem and was rejected and was beaten and was imprisoned and died on the cross. But three days later, rose again. And so now, we wanna follow him. We wanna follow him. I wanna ask you this question this morning. Why do you wanna follow Jesus? Why? Is it for a get out of hell free pass? Or is it because you understand the beautiful man and the mission of God? We can't follow Jesus and not be on the mission. Go make disciples of the nations. Here, there, and everywhere. And we can't follow Jesus. We can't Be on mission and carry the idols with us. So this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to go into a time of response and worship. Don't don't think of statues and extremes, right? Think of gifts. Think of creation. And I want to ask you this. As as my prayer for you in my office earlier this morning was, Lord, reveal to us the gifts that have been elevated above the giver. Lord, open our hearts to the creation that we've placed on the throne that should be for the creator in our hearts. And so as we respond to him, would you listen to the Holy Spirit in your life? And would you be willing to lay down and say, Jesus, yep, Jesus, yep, yep, push them all out of the way so that I can follow after you? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I pray that as we respond and worship, Lord, that your Spirit would would speak to us. Lord, that you would open the the hard-to-see areas of our life. Lord, that you would point out the the idols that we have placed on on thrones in our heart and in our life. Lord, that we would repent of of abusing what you've given us. And Lord, I I pray that, that we in that would find the grace and compassion of God who says join me on the mission. Join me as we head to Jerusalem. Take up your cross and follow after me. With every head bowed and every eye closed the response is for, for all of us It's been a a tough week to get to go through this in my own life, my own heart. But can I tell you, the process may be tough, but the result is sweet. And it is good. And it grows in in a depth of love for Christ that renews. So this morning, Maybe it, maybe, it are, maybe it is for you statues and extremes. But maybe it's, it's not. Pray that God would make the gray areas of your wall black and white. Lord, speak to us, convict us, draw us in only how you can. For your praise and for your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be back at the back if you'd like to talk, if you'd like to pray. The altar is open. would invite you, maybe maybe you feel like the Lord is saying, no, bring it, bring it right down. Bring it down in front of everyone. Lay it down at, at the foot right now. Surrender it. yours to begin with. Yet God gave it to you. Stop closing your fingers around it. Hold on to it, but with an open hand. Right? Those good gifts from God that he's given you, release the grip. Keep it in your hand Know that it's His. Right. Lord, do with us what you will. Listen, Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.